tonight. We're still in chapter 8. Hello. Um, let's open up in prayer, and then we'll jump in. Father, we bless, we bless you. We thank you for this evening, um, for this time we've got to, to share your word together. I pray that you would help me. Help me to uh, share what is on your heart to rightly divide and uh, interpret and explain, teach your word. And Lord, that it would not return void, but it would remove in our hearts that we would earnestly desire, we would hunger, we would thirst for spiritual gifts that you have for us in, in building one another up in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lead us and guide us in our conversation and our study tonight. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? I'm, all right. Hey, guys. Y'all good? All right. So, can everybody hear me? Is it up? Uh, it sounds a little bit different to me tonight. Is it what now? Yeah, it does. It does. I wonder if this thing we try to adjust this a little bit, see if that works. Is that any different? There we go. Let's see if it stays that way. I think this mic, like, you put it where you want it, and then I think it moves. So we'll give it a try. All right. So we are doing, um, we've been going through the book, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by Dr. Sam Storms. And, uh, any, does anybody have the book? Y'all been reading along? What do you think about re- you reading it? You, are you in, um, is it helpful reading along? Yeah. I know um, he, he's, he's a great teacher. So I, I recommend it. If you don't have it, it's a really good book to, to get. I mean, we're, we're covering, you know, 90% of the material and we're going through it. But it's really helpful if you read it. My, I know Diane would say to me, she's like, she'd let, she especially with the last book, she'd read it and she'd go, I read it. I kind of understood it, and then you'd explain it, and then it made sense. <laughs> so, but it's helpful, yeah, because you're well, you're talking it out. When you're talking to us, when you really learn it, you kind of get you get. Uh, I don't get caught so much in the weeds. You can see the bigger picture, and it's helpful. So, hello. Um, all right. So tonight we're we're in the, we're in chapter eight, um, and uh, uh, we're going through. Um, uh, what is the gift of tongues? We're specifically talking about what is the gift of tongues. But just a little bit of review before we get into this. Um, all right. So we primarily, there's lots of spiritual gifts in the Bible. Uh, there's three chapters that really kind of give lists of gifts. Um, so for points, I'm giving points out now. Who can name one of those chapters in the Bible that talks, uh, kind of has a lift of different, list of different spiritual gifts? First Corinthians, which one? Well, it's 12, but 14 explains it, So, but 12 is when it gives a list. 12 gives a list, 14 explains it, so, all right, so, so 33 points, y'all figure out how to split them up. All right, that's one, that's good. Um, oh, let me turn this off, so. <coughs> all right, so what's another chapter? Romans 12, very good. Okay, so another 33 points over here. Um, all right, so what's the, what is the third chapter? Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, very good. And if so, for, for extra points, it's bonus points now. Um, it's really, it's kind of interesting the way that Paul words it. Um, he, he references the Holy Spirit as the giver of gifts in one of those chapters. He references the Father as the giver of gifts in one of those chapters. And he references Jesus as the giver of gifts in one of those chapters. So we're going to do a little matching here. So who can match up one of them? 
so we got we have First Corinthians twelve, Romans twelve, and Ephesians four. Which one would you match up with the the Spirit? Which would you match up with the Father? Which would match up with Jesus? And it's just the way Paul phrases it. Ooh, this is good. I got a stumper tonight. Oh, y'all are usually like right on it. You, you just take a wild guess. You know, just... Ephesians. Okay, so Ephesians four would be which one? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jesus, the Father, and Spirit. Which one? Yeah. Who, who specifically says it's what? Very good. Hmm. Man, a 33% chance you're you're betting, you know, you should play the stock market today. <laughs> Go buy a lottery ticket, you know, don't really know this. I'm just, you know, very good. So, okay, uh, we'll, we'll do, fi- fi- uh, these were bonus right here, so 15 points. All right. Who can give me this? So you only got, you narrowed it down 50-50. What are the others? Two? Do what? Romans the father. Oh, my goodness. And so who wants easy money for the last one? <laughs> Yeah, so 15 points, and who's going to take the spirit for 12, for 15, and First Corinthians 12? All right, do what? I'll take the spirit for 15. Very good. Great, great job. All right, now, no, all, all kidding aside, you know, there's, there's lots of spiritual gifts mentioned throughout the scripture, but we've been focused on studying the ones in First Corinthians 12. Why? What's well, a little bit different about some of these, these gifts that are listed here? than some of the gifts that are lifted, listed in the other places. Anybody remember that? Why they take a little bit more explanation. Ooh, another stumper tonight. I'll make this one worth 20, 26 points. I'm going to use 26. 26 is a good one. Yeah, these are more revelatory. There's, there's more supernatural aspects to these 12 than the others. Some um, are, are giftings that are more... Uh, um, come out of how God's naturally wired us and him working with that. These are clearly, if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, it don't happen. Okay? You know, someone has a gift of teaching um, can hone that gift. You can't hone the gift of the word of knowledge. You either had a word of knowledge or you don't. Now, you can hone it in the sense of learning how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, being willing, and that type of thing. Um, uh, but you're not really going to Im- improve it per se. So these are a little bit different. They're a little bit less understood. They're a little more controversial. And so that's why we're doing a deep dive. And I said all that because we're talking about the gift of tongues. This is the gift that we're uh, speaking about right now. In this particular gift, we I'm going to give a summary of what we covered two weeks ago. It wasn't last week. It was two weeks ago. And then uh, I'll jump in and talk about what we're going to talk about tonight. All right. So we're going through. There we go. We're going through Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, Dr. Sam Storms. Everything I'm quoting is coming from the book. Um, if I'm quoting from the Bible, I'm coming from the ESV version. Um, and so all my sources right up front. So what is the gift of tongues? What is it? Well, we talked about it a little bit uh, last time. Uh, so far, this is what we've discussed. So uh, a lot of people say, well, their tongues were evangelistic. Were they evangelistic? No, no not primarily. And we, we studied that. Um, they, I mean, they could be used to draw people. And I gave a testimony of somebody who, uh, as a result of a gift of tongues, ended up coming to Christ. You know, and so, yes, God can and will and does use all kinds of things, but that's not the primary purpose of them. Uh, the next thing we talked about, um, why is tongue speech so rare if you even see it at all in the other epistles? And we showed some examples where it was probably in some of the other epistles. Now, we're not talking about Book of Acts. We're talking about in the epistles. Why doesn't Paul teach about it in other places? 
And, and the point is, is that the re- he didn't need to teach about it in other places. I mean, he only teaches about communion to the Corinthians. And so, like, do we not have communion because he doesn't teach it to the Ephesians and he doesn't teach it to the Colossians? No. He teaches what he needs to the church who needs to hear it. And if you remember, they were to copy the letters and share them, to spread them around, which is, in fact, why we have them. Okay? So uh, the fact that it was only in, in one um, doesn't make it a rare thing. Number, number three. What is the nature of tongues? What, what is it? Um, and, and quite frankly, you know, it's the Holy Spirit manifesting through the human spirit, mysterious praise and prayer directly to God that no one understands. I mean, if, if it's not interpreted, we don't understand it. Now, it can be an actual language, uh, um, a human language, physical language, or it can be a spiritual language. You know, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of angels and of men, um, but he, when we broke that down. We looked at the text where it's clear. You know, Paul says, I don't, and we'll see that more. We'll see it some more. It's, if I'm not praying with my mind, I don't understand it. But, but um, uh, so it's mysterious. And so that's the nature of it. It's the Holy Spirit manifesting through the human spirit, mysterious praise and prayer that is directed to God that's not understood. So, um, so some people have kind of said, well, you know, it's all about self-edification and self-edification. That's not Christ-like, so we need to not do it. Well, um, is self-edification okay? And we talked about that. We broke it down. Well, is not Bible study, prayer, listening to sermons and reading books all self-edification? Yes. Okay. You know, being self-centered is not okay, but building us up to ourselves up to be like Christ, that's what edification is, to build up. It's the process of maturing. It's increasing spiritual sensitivity. It's expanding understanding. It's intensifying zeal. It's being a better member of the body of Christ. So, um, so that argument really is not a good argument. And the last one was that, that we looked at um, is ecstasy part of tongue speech. And we broke this down because some people are saying, well, you know, that, that was just crazy ecstasy, all this stuff going on. Um, this, first of all, let me describe what ecstasy is. It's a, it's a term used in pagan spiritual rituals uh, when, when someone is under the influence of a, an unclean spirit and they literally lose control and they are acting ecstatically um, <clears throat> uh, in, this, in, a, in, this, um, in an ecstatic, in an ecstasy state or an ecstatic state. That never happens when the Holy Spirit is moving. It's what we looked at over and over and over again. The, the Holy Spirit is condescending in his gifts, meaning what? He always offers and never forces. Uh, I like what somebody put it. It's, he's an officer and a gentleman. It is, there, the individual is always 100% in control, um, uh, and he is never forcing. Now, um, he, he can be very convicting, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and he's, uh, um, he's boss. We should be listening to him, but he's not going to force us. And there will never be a point in which we're, we're uh, um, manifesting an ecstatic um, uh, uh, manifestation. All right, so, and the reason why we need to bring that up is some of our English translations will use the word ecstatic, but it, it's, it's a bad translation. It's not what's actually the Greek word behind it. All right, so where are we going uh, in the rest of our study in this chapter? Um, first thing we're going to do is can everybody speak in tongues? And we're going to take a while breaking that one down. We're going to spend a lot of time because that's a big issue. Um, I've heard lots of things talking about that. So, you know, lots of different positions talking about it. So we're going to kind of break down and we're going to look at the the arguments on both sides. 
Um, that's number one. Number two, we're going to look at Paul's prayer life himself. What was his prayer life like? We, you know, how did he express um, the, the manifestation of this gift in his own life? And then, and then next week, we'll get into some of the others. I'll probably finish it all next week, but it might take two weeks. Our tongues assigned, um, tongues in the church. What about corporate singing in the spirit and my experiences with tongues? So tongues in the church is really going to be a recap of a lot of what we've already talked about, so I probably won't go too deep into that. Um, I, um, I answered our tongues assigned a little bit of that last week in the Q&A, but that didn't officially get answered, so we'll, we'll have some time to talk about that um, uh, next week. We'll talk about that. And, and I, I really like the, the experiential part. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about Dr. Storms, his background, because he comes from a background where, I mean, this was just like, you know, God doesn't do this anymore. This doesn't happen anymore. No. To, yeah, this is biblical, and we need to, we need to seek everything the Holy Spirit has for us. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll look at his testimony a little bit as he, as he breaks it down. All right. We all good? Are we all ready? Can everyone speak in tongues? Um, so... We're going, to look this, we're going to look at lots of scripture. If you want to open up, we'll be primarily in 1 Corinthians 14. We'll be looking in other places as well. If you want to follow along in your own Bibles, I'll have the scriptures up there. I'll show them. But um, uh, you can get, the, get go there ahead of time. Well, number one, what does Paul say? He says this. He says, Paul de- the scripture says that Paul desired that all Christians spoke in tongues. That was Paul's desire. Where do we see that? He says it right here. Now. I want you all to speak in tongues. So what does Paul want? <laughs> he wants everyone to speak in tongues. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So, um, you know, Paul's pretty clear on his desire. So this is his desire. So, but what does that desire mean? We're going to break that down and we're going to look at what that actually means. Um, but what else does he say? Is there anything else that's kind of introductory to the subject? He says, yes. He says, what? He says, Paul believes that the gift of tongues edifies the individual believer. That's the purpose of it. Its purpose is to edify the individual believer. Where do we see that? Go back one verse in verse 4 in 1 Corinthians 14. The one who speaks in a tongues builds himself up, builds up, edified. So speaking in tongues is to edify the individual. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. Okay, and so um, so he makes the, the 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 clear application of the primary purpose of what's going on with it. It's not the only purpose, but primary. Um, all right. Paul thanked God for the gift of tongues in his own prayer life, and we're gonna again we'll we'll have a whole section where we go deep into that uh, conversation. But this is this is him. We're gonna jump down to verse eighteen and nineteen where he says this. Um, he's I thank God. Specifically, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than y'all. It, see, it's, it's, you've got to say that right because it's Texan. It's more than y'all, right? Okay. Um, and, and, or or if, you, if it's really Texan, it's more than all y'all. But um, uh, nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. All right. The next one. Paul warned against any temptation to forbid the exercising of the gift of tongues. So you know, why warn about it unless it was going to be temptation to do that? And here it is in, in verse 39. What's he say? So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So what are we not to forbid? Speaking in tongues, right? There we go. And we'll, 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 again, we'll see how that applies. 
But this is all kind of introducing us to this whole conversation. Is this a gift for everyone? So, does that mean that all Christians should or will speak in tongues? So we're, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the arguments on both sides. We're gonna, here's, here's a set of arguments. Here's the other set of arguments. And then we'll kind of come to a conclusion. Um, and, but the, the goal is, you know, I, I, my goal is to steel man our study. Now, what does steel man mean? Um, what I don't want to do is present a few verses, okay, and say, okay, um, here's what the other side says, all right, and not give the full argument, but, but make a weak argument on the other side and poke holes on it and then come over here and make this argument look better. I really want us to look at the scripture and say, this is what this argument is. This is what this argument is. Which one actually um, uh, uh, makes more sense from the text? Which one would we walk away from the text going, okay, that's a more coherent, more cogent argument from the scriptures? All right, that's our goal here. So we'll see how we do uh, in getting through that. So, all right, um, what's the first argument? So what we're going to do is first those who say no. No, it is not for all, uh, all believers. Not all Christians should or will speak in tongues. Um, and this reminds us uh, uh, that the, the first thing that we're going to deal with in this argument is that Paul wished that all were celibate like himself. Okay? Paul wished that all speak in tongues. Well, Paul also wished that everyone was celibate, just like himself, right? Well, where do we see that? Let's look over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. What did he say? And the, he says, oops, hang on. He says, I wish that all were as myself, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So Paul said, I wish you all speak in tongues. We can also go back to 1 Corinthians 7. And he said, I wish that all were celibate. Well, is it, are all going to be celibate? No. And what is, uh, um, and, and he says that not all are going to be celibate. So we clearly see Paul using the same language for something that is not necessarily meant for everyone. And so this, some would argue just because he says, I desire that all, doesn't mean that he actually says uh, he's intending that all should or will. All right, so that's, that's number one. Did Paul intend, and I said this already, did, did Paul intend that all men should be celibate? Obviously not. Thus, wishing all Christians speaking in tongues does, does not necessarily mean all should or will, is how this argument goes. So this is argument number one. All right. What's the next one? Paul says that the gifts are bestowed to individuals as the Holy Spirit wills. Right? And so where do we see this? Let's look, let's look over in, back over to chapter 12. And we're going to look at a whole section here. We're going we're to look from verses 7 to verse 11. We're going to break down these verses here. So, um, and, and the argument here we're looking at, the, the scriptural, we're looking at these scriptures because the Holy Spirit's what? He's bestowing gifts to individuals as the Holy Spirit wills. So starting in verse 7, chapter 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. To another, oh, I should be doing this, sorry guys. Um, to another, gifts of healing by one spirit. Uh, to another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit 
who apportions to each one individually as he wills. By the way, remember in our in our kind of our, our, our uh, startup when we talked about who was bestowing the gifts? Notice this is saying each one by the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. Just kind of put that in the back of your mind because I'll probably use that question again. You get the points. All right. Um, so, uh, so the argument goes, um, if if all should or will speak in tongues, why would he employ this language that demonstrates not everyone will have the gift? Okay, if it is a gift that is meant to be for everyone, then why do you get this language? Well, you know, clearly not everybody's going to prophesy. Clearly not everybody's going to have a word of wisdom. Clearly not everybody's going to have this. And, and, and this is put in this context. So why would we think this would be something that would be for everyone, the argument goes. So first argument we get. So, yeah, Paul says, I desire, but I desire doesn't necessarily have to be universal. He's used I desire over here, and it wasn't universal. Second argument we're getting here is the Holy Spirit um, is the one who gives as he wills. How can we say that's for everyone? You know, we don't necessarily know what the Holy Spirit wants to give everyone. So this is the second argument. Um, I think that's actually the third argument. I'm, um, nope, that's, those, are the, those were the arguments there. All right. Finally, okay, yeah, here's the third argument. Finally, let me get there. Paul actually says not all speak in tongues. Paul actually says this. Where does he say this? This is over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. So turn over to verse to chapter 12, verse 28. This is what he says. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, then helping, then administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Verse 29. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? I mean, it's clearly what he's implying is not everyone does this. So Paul actually says, not everyone has this gift. So, that settles it, right? It's done, it's over with, we have the arguments, right? Well, others will say not so fast. Again, and, I, and, I'm, and so we're, we're trying to give what's the, the best of the, of the arguments on either side. So what do we got? Well, Paul desires. Yeah, Paul desires, but Paul desires everybody to be celibate. Is everybody, does he really mean that's for everybody? No, that's not what it means when he's talking there. So how can we say that's what he means here? Well, the Holy, um, the Holy Spirit gives spirit gifts to who he will. Okay, yeah, we see that clearly. He gives who he will. So how can you say it's for everybody? The Holy Spirit gives to who he will. Finally, Paul actually says, not everybody will do this. But not everybody will do this. How can we say this is everything, this is something that everybody should, will, or can do? How can we make that argument? All right, well, let's look at the other side. So the first thing we're going to deal with, we'll just go right down the list, concerning the I desire terminology. And, and is 100% agreed that, yes, Paul clearly did not mean everyone should be celibate. You know, when you go back and you look at there, that's a, that's a good use of that text. He doesn't mean everyone's going to be celibate. However, here's other passages where he does say, I desire, and he clearly does mean everyone. Here it is in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware 
when he says, I want you, I do not desire that you be unaware, brothers. That is the same language there. In the English, it may come a little bit different, but he's using the same terminology. That our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All right. Let's look over in chapter 11, verse 3. But I desire you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So, once again, this is, he, uh, um, is a place where he's using this application uh, universally, using this language. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I, no, I desire you to be uh, informed. It's the same language here. So, now, what do we do? Because we've got, we've got the text where he says, I desire, and it's universally applied. We have a text where he says, I desire, and it's not universally applied. So the question is this. Did Paul only desire certain Christians to know these things in these texts? No. He clearly wanted all Christians to know these things. This was, this was his desire that everybody should know these things. All right. Um. When we go back to 1 Corinthians 7, 7, where Paul says, I desire that you should all be celibate like I am, um, uh, it's clearly not and can't be universal. We already, we already agreed with that. He clearly is not talking about that. However, in 1 Corinthians 14, there it is. I wish that you're always myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another. All right? Um, we go to 1 Corinthians 14. Paul gives no clue as to why his I desire cannot be fulfilled for all believers. All right? So I'm going to break that down. When we look at this verse, I wish that all of you were as myself as, as, myself as I am. Right? But each one has his own gift. He's, he's taking what his desire is on one side, and he's clearly saying why it's not fulfilled in the text. Isn't he? But each one has his own gift. Yeah, this is my desire, but each one has my gift. This is my desire. It's not necessarily the Holy Spirit's desire. That's what he's saying in that text. So the context tells us whether or not it's universal there. By the context, we can see it's not universal. But when we go over to 1 Corinthians 14, is everybody with me? Because I know it's a little bit technical here. But it needs to be if we're going to try to figure out how to interpret and apply the scriptures. All right? We go over to 1 Corinthians 14. He doesn't give a context uh, uh, that's limiting. Now I, want, now I desire you to all oh, this desire or wants the same, same word in the Greek, to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. There's nothing there that would say, no, you shouldn't, no, you can't. I'm only qualifying certain individuals in that. So we don't have the same. So that argument that says Paul uses I desire here, Paul uses I desire there, but he uses it both the same way. So therefore, it means the same thing. That argument falls apart. So maybe the other two arguments still hold, but that argument, just the fact that he uses I desire in 1 Corinthians 7, and now he uses it here, and so it was limiting there, it's limiting here. We just saw three other places where it's not limiting, and then when we look at this text, there's nothing limiting in this text. So the argument that says, the I desire argument that says, because he limited it with celibacy, he's also limiting with tongues, that's not a logical argument. It doesn't hold. 
So we have to take that off the table. Okay? We still have two other arguments we've got to deal with, but that one is not a good argument. Did everybody follow me? Okay? I want to make sure we're all together here. Because, again, I know this is a little bit tough. Did you follow that? All right. Now here's my question. Why would God withhold from any of his children a gift that enables them to pray and to praise him so effectively, a gift that also functions to edify them in their faith? This is a quote directly from the text. This is the argument who say this is for everyone. This is why would God withhold this gift from some people? Does not 1 Corinthians 14.23 imply that all believers could potentially speak in tongues? And I think therein is going to be more of this argument over here, the argument that they're making. Doesn't 1 Corinthians 14 imply that all could potentially speak in tongues? Let's look at what that verse says. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues. So... Why would you have an example of all speaking in tongues if they couldn't potentially do it? This is the argument. Potentially. doesn't mean they all do. doesn't mean they all can. It means they potentially can. It's a potential thing. And outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? Well, some people would say I'm out of my mind. doesn't matter how I'm speaking. But anyway. Um, so for some, the answer lies in, in the setting in which the gift of tongues is exercised. And this is really important. Um, Paul seems to make a distinction between the gift of tongues in public gatherings, where on the one hand, there's a limit that only some will manifest that gift. So, we, we, as we looked in 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So that list, when he's talking about some will have this, some will have that, he's talking about in a public gathering where you're coming together, some will do this, some will do that, there will be a limit. And why? Because its purpose is the common good. We're trying to do something here that's going to edify the common good. And in fact, he makes later clarification that if you are using a tongue, it has to be accompanied with interpretation of tongue. So its limitation would of necessity be when it is interpreted so it can be for the common good. So you got that on one hand. Um, and so, you know, for the common good to another, the working of miracles. We read this earlier. I won't go back through this. Um, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. But this is he's apportioning as he wills to build the body up. These things are going to be very manifested in various ways to build the body up. Now. Um, and we see the same thing when we when we jump down here. God is appointed in the church, what? First apostles, first prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess healing, do all uh, speak in tongues, do all interpret. What's going on here? It's talking about giftings that are meant to manifest for the common good for everyone. And so in those, clearly not everyone is going to do all of those things. There's going to be different people who are gifted in the body to, 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 to manifest the, uh, um, the gifts of the Spirit to, to build up and edify the whole body. All right. On the other hand, uh, there, there seems to be a private devotional gift that appears to be available to all. 
And this is described throughout 1 Corinthians 14. So in 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking about things for the common good. When we get to 1 Corinthians 14, he's making the distinction of what edifies the individual as opposed to what edifies the body. And that which is edifying of the individual needs to be private and devotional for the individual. But that which edifies the body is needs to be what you need to focus on, desire, and concentrate when you gather together. And he makes this juxtaposition between the two. And there seems to be or, 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 um, um, a, a differentiation between the two. So let's look at a text here. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. You can you get the feeling of what he's saying. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. But when you're together, the most important thing is that somebody, if you're going to speak in tongues, there's an interpretation or somebody prophesies. You should be seeking those types of gifts when you're coming together. All right. So in public, only certain individuals will manifest the gift of tongues. Whereas in private, tongues is available to all for private prayer and devotion. So you don't have two different gifts. What you have is two different contexts. You have one context that's public worship. You have another context that's private devotion. So this is how, so you see we have the one argument um, that's developing. People say no. There's other arguments saying, well, not so fast. When we step back and look at the scriptures in a little more detail, a little more depth, and we see what's going on. There could be a different way of seeing these things. All right. So I'm going to quote here from Dr. Storms. And Dr. Storms is actually quoting uh, uh, Jack Hayford's argument. And here's Jack Hayford's argument. He says this. He argues in much the same way, and he, but he uses different terms. He suggests that the gift of tongues is, number one, limited in distribution. And number two, it's public exercises to be, to be closely governed. While the grace of tongues is so broadly available that Paul wished that all enjoy its blessing, which includes, number one, distinctive communication with God, number two, edifying of the believer's private life, and number three, worship and thanksgiving with beauty and propriety. And isn't that what we talked about so far? You know, that, that the reason why Paul didn't want the individual manifestation of it, because nobody's going to understand it, and it's just edifying you, how is that helping the body? But I want you to do it just when you come together. Let there be a, a manifestation that edifies the whole body. So, I'm, again, I'm quoting from Dr. Storms here. The difference between these operations of the Holy Spirit is that not every Christian has reason to expect he or she will necessarily exercise the public gift. While any Christian may expect and welcome the private grace of spiritual language in his or her personal time of prayer fellowship with God, uh, praiseful worship before God, and intercessory prayer to God. So, um, again, we're pre presenting the arguments from both sides. So what are the summary points then uh, of what we just looked at? Because okay, we're looking at a lot of little technical stuff here. Is everybody with me so far on everything we looked at? All right. Paul's message in chapter 12 breaks down to this. Not every believer will contribute to body ministry the same way. Everybody's bringing a different gift. Number two, each will bring that gift for the common good of the body. The goal isn't the edification of you. 
The goal is how are you going to edify others by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? But when we get to message, when we get to chapter 14, um, uh, not all are prophets. Uh, um, it concerns what is available to all. 1 Corinthians 20, 12, 29, not all are prophets. In 14, 1 and 31, all have the potential to prophesy. Did you catch that? Putting tongues aside from it, we're talking about prophecy. Not all our prophets all have the potential to prophesy. You don't have to be a prophet to prophesy. We're limited to only prophets in one place, but over here we're saying, but anyone can prophesy. Prophecy is open potentially to all, whereas only some will be prophets. Well, why wouldn't the same sort of thing be true with the gift of tongues? This is, this is the argument. So, how does Dr. Storm's... Um, Oh, sorry. Um, I should have given you that slide while I was talking about it. All right, so how does Dr. Storms sum all this up? This, and this is his answer from looking at the arguments from both sides, because we broke it down. This is what he says. He says, to be honest, I'm not sure how to answer this question. I must confess it seems unlikely that God would withhold the gift of tongues from one of his children if they passionately and sincerely desire it. My suspicion is... That all things being equal, if you deeply desire this gift, it's probably because the Holy Spirit has stirred your heart to seek for it. And he has stirred your heart to seek for it because he will bestow, he will, because it is his will to bestow it. So, if you long for the gift of tongues, persevere in your prayers. My sense, with no guarantee, is that God will answer you in his time with a satisfying yes. So... Um, he's, it sounds like he's taking a, a middle of the road. Uh, I didn't give you the whole quote. Did I? I'm sorry. I'm looking down and didn't look up. There's the rest of the quote. sounds like he's kind of taking a middle of the road uh, response. I don't think he really is. I think what he's saying is this. Say, look, you've got people who are studying the scriptures and they're walking away and coming with different positions on it. All right. Um, this, isn't, this isn't a hill we need to die on. All right. You need to know the position you take and that you can back it by. You can stand behind it and say, this is how I sincerely and honestly interpret and see the scriptures. All right. Um, uh, here's the thing. Um, if it's something that you're desiring, it's probably the Holy Spirit that's turning that in you. If it is, then you need to be seeking him for it. Um, I would add to that. This, now, that's his take on it. I'm going to add to that a little bit of my take on it. My take is this. If you're not desiring it, I would, want to, I would want to know why. Just because it's weird? Just because it makes you uncomfortable? Because you don't like it? Because, you know, that, because I don't want to associate with other people that I've seen manifest that. I don't want to be looked that way. I would say, is your prejudice keeping you something from God wants to give you? Um, and we're going to look at Paul's example in a minute. And um, it certainly didn't bother Paul that the Corinthians weren't using it well. Didn't bother him at all. Um, so my question is, is why would you not want to seek God for it? And I would submit that most people don't want to seek God for it because it's just weird to them. It's just strange. Um, and uh, is it then that you want to choose what gifts you're willing to accept from God? Well, what position does that put you in? 
Um, so those are the kinds of questions I'd want to ask as we're studying through this. You know, are you sitting here as you're listening to me argue? Are you picking your side? Have you pre-picked your side and already decided before I even went which arguments you were going to like and which ones you weren't before I even mentioned them? That should tell you something right there. Or are you listening to this going, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Oh, but I like that point better. Those are, these are the kinds of questions I think we need to be asking. Because we need the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We absolutely need. And I, would, and I would agree with that question that was asked earlier. Why would God want to withhold something that clearly builds up the individual in maturing them in their faith, that causes them to worship God, that causes them to praise him, and, and even if it's beyond, and especially if it's beyond their understanding. And we're going to dive into that as we go into the next thing, thing looking about Paul's prayer life. So those are just some thoughts I want to throw out there. Um, I suspect, uh, in, in, uh, um, let me say it this way, clearly not everyone does. My question, and it's been a long time question, is I want to know how many people don't because they're not willing to. They're not actually seeking. I suspect there are a lot of people who don't because they're not actually hungering and seeking. I know in my own life, um, I came out. I came out of tr- uh, uh, one tradition. I came a couple traditions where um, it was it was uh, to- not totally accept- not only totally acceptable, but something to seek. But they had a very specific way that things happened. The way they did things. Well, it didn't happen for me that way. You know, I literally, God baptized me powerfully and mightily in His Spirit when I was alone by myself, late at night, in the family room praying. I mean, just wave after wave of the Holy Spirit just pouring on me, just pouring on me. I started praying in tongues. I started worshiping. But, you know, like Paul said, with my mind and with my spirit, it just kept flowing and flowing. Nobody was laying hands on me. Nobody was even around me. Funny thing was, is I'd, I had been, um, I, I had come to a journey where I started walking with the Lord, and the whole issue of cessationism came up. I had some, as I was starting to walk with the Lord, and it was just brand new in, in recommitting my life to walk with him and hungering for him. And I literally, like, I would turn on every station, you know, and I would listen to everything. Everybody, if somebody said Jesus, they must be telling the truth and I'm listening to it. <laughs> I listened to so much. And it wasn't long before I had one group of people who were walking up to me, you know, saying, well, you've got to watch out for this kind of Christian. And they're handing me a book. Uh, you know, by a, by a popular author telling me, you know, if you get into the, all this Holy Spirit stuff, man, that's from the devil. And you need to really read this. And I got other people coming up to me saying, man, you need to be, God has so much he wants to give to you. Here's the Bible. Read this, and you come up and see if I'm not telling you. And so I literally, I put all the books down, and I said, I'm just going to read the scriptures, and I'm going to work my way through this myself, try to figure this out. And so I did a lot of what we're just doing right here. I listened to the arguments. I looked at the text, figured it out, and I realized, no, God wants the full manifestation of his spirit today as he's always desired it. Um, and it's not only textual. It's not only scriptural. There's tons of evidence throughout the life of the, of the church that these things didn't stop with the apostles. So that's what I want. And you know what? I began to pray. And it was months that wasn't one time, it wasn't one, one week praying, it wasn't two weeks praying, it wasn't 15 prayers. It was months 
months of praying and praying and praying and seeking the heart of God and letting God work out whatever he wanted to work in in me. Before I had this moment, when I was like, again, like, in fact, I remember I was reading a book. It was called, it was actually called The Holy Spirit in You. It was by um, um, Episcopal priest. Uh, Bennett was his last name. And, um, uh, and I'm reading this book, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. I, I knew in my spirit something's about to happen. I knew it because I shared a, a bedroom with my brothers, and I was like, I need to get out of here because I'm about to wake everybody up. <laughs> I knew it. I literally knew it. And I got up, and I went into the family room, and I just started praying. And that's when the Holy Spirit was like, see, the Holy Spirit even cared about my brothers. <laughs> Although I'm kind of surprised I didn't wake the whole house up, but I didn't. Anyway, there's um, uh, let's, let's, let's dive in and look at Paul's experience, his personal prayer life. All right. Paul's prayer life. Here we go. So this is in 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For, I, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. All right, I'm going to quote here um, from Dr. Storms. It says this. It says, this may be a reference to the Holy Spirit or perhaps to his own human spirit or even a co-working of the two, which in effect constitutes the essence of a spiritual gift. So a spiritual gift is when the Holy Spirit energizes, enables my spirit to do what otherwise I couldn't. That's what a spiritual gift is. When the Holy Spirit energizes my spirit and enables my spirit to do something it otherwise couldn't do. So here's the important point. When Paul prays in tongues, his mind is unfruitful. By this, he means either I don't understand what I'm saying or other people don't understand what I'm saying. And the former is the more likely. He says, my mind is unfruitful. And we'll see why. He, he's not understanding it himself. What is he saying here? Now, why, why is he making some of these distinctions? There's a, in the Greek, it's, it's not 100% clear. It could be means this way. It could mean that way. The point being, when he's praying, there's a cooperation going on. There's not a clear distinction. Is it my spirit or is the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. Okay? It's a cooperation with. And what's going on? The two are affecting something that my mind's not understanding. Now, what's he say? By, uh, I'm sorry. Some argue that if the mind is not engaged, if a believer cannot rationally or cognitively grasp what is occurring, whatever the believer is experiencing is useless. Now, this, some make this argument. Look, if you don't understand what you're doing, if you're not cognitively getting it, if it's, not, if it's not rationally making sense to you, then it's useless. Throw it out. It doesn't make any sense at all. Why are you doing it? So this argument is a clear contradiction to Paul's words. Why? He says, my mind is unfruitful. If an unfruitful mind is useless, then Paul should most definitely condemn the practice. If an unfruitful mind is useless, then Paul should be condemning it. What use is something I am not comprehending? But what does Paul actually do? The argument is in, uh, uh, oh, hang on. Hang on, sorry. What does Paul actually do? If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, 
and my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Paul doesn't make an all or uh, nothing case here. He's making, I do both. Why? Because there's something mystically important here. The Spirit can build us up and we can glorify God in ways that go beyond our understanding. How many know that? The Holy Spirit can build us up. We can glorify God in ways that go beyond what we understand. Let me put it this way. How many of us can fully comprehend God? Well, let me give it another example. Let's compare us to a Dixie cup. What what will we compare God to? How about the Pacific Ocean? How many of us can fit the entire Pacific Ocean into a Pacific into a Dixie cup? But how many of us can put some Pacific Ocean into the Dixie cup? Do we have real Pacific Ocean in the Pacific cup, in the Dixie cup? Yes. That's real Pacific Ocean in there. Is it all of it? No. So there's much more. So there is something I can relate to, I can understand, I can touch, but there's also more that's beyond that I can't. So what do I do? I have spiritual practices in which I am building both up, not one, not only one or the other. And in fact, I would submit to you there's far more than just two spiritual practices, but that's a study for another time. So where else might we see these practices in the scripture? Anybody ever read this one? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Anybody ever quote that? Why would we lean not on our own understanding if we could understand it all? Why is he telling us not to? And what happens when we do that? In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Well, how will he do that? I don't know. We won't necessarily understand it. Some of it we will. But I'm going to trust him. And somehow he makes it all work out. Why? Because he's bigger than I am. Um, how about this one? Nope. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We love that one. It's about prayer. It's about bringing our prayers before God. It's about lifting them up. It's about telling Him exactly what's in our mind. And what happens when we do that? The peace of God, which surpasses understanding. Huh. We'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We don't have a problem with this verse. This is all in our memory verses. We all know this one. We know its address. And the peace of God that goes beyond your understanding. How is, it, how is it possible? All I'm doing, quote unquote, is I'm bringing my supplications. I'm bringing thanksgiving. I'm just putting it into God's hands. And all of a sudden, I have a peace. Where did it come from? I don't really know because uh, all I did was just give it to God. Huh. Anywhere else? But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Here's Jude. How about Paul in the in the book of Ephesians? Praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer, with all prayer and supplication. Kind of like combining it together, praying with my mind and with my spirit. Mm, a little bit, huh? 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sounds like that's not mine. Interesting. So we don't have problems with these verses. So, does Paul ignore the mind-renewing experience? No! Not at all. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. He's, see, it's, I love this. Because it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. We are spiritual beings, we are soulish beings, we are physical beings. We are one being that's all three. And the edification is our entire man, if you will. The entire being, all that we are. There's an edification that is building us up in ways that go beyond our understanding. There is an edification that builds us up that is by our understanding. There is actually uh, building our understanding up. It's all of the above. It's not an either or. And it's what the scripture teaches. And so to say, I want this and not want that, we're saying that God doesn't know best. Okay. So this is Paul's practice. All right. Let me keep going here. So, Paul, uh, does Paul argue for the spirit edifying? Does Paul argue for spirit edifying experiences beyond the mind? Or for mind-edifying experiences through the Spirit. Did everybody catch that? Is he arguing for Spirit-edifying experiences that are beyond your mind? Or is he experiencing? Is he arguing for mind-edifying experiences that build your spirit? Which one? Yeah, the answer is yes. Yes, it's not an either-or proposition. And, and one of the ways that we know whether these Spirit-edifying experiences are true and correct is because we have the ability to edify the mind, to study the scriptures, to know whether or not these things are true. They don't go apart from one another. They go in conjunction with one another. All right, everybody follow that? All right. So, if Paul was praying or singing in the Spirit and not interpreting it by his own instructions, it was private devotional prayer. It wasn't outward public demonstration. He's making a contextual distinction concerning the gift of tongues in his own life. Okay? If, if, he's, if he's saying, I'm praying more than, and, and, and I'm singing more in the Spirit than, than all y'all. Okay? And he was Texan. So uh, he's saying it that way. Then, then, um, then what's going on? He's referring to his private devotional life here. He's not referring to what he's doing in public. All right. Um, hang on. Let me get my computer here to be in the same place. Um, here he is. This is Paul in verse uh, 15 in chapter 14. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind. I will praise with my spirit. I will sing with my mind also. In the church, Paul desires that believers are concerned about one another. And there's what it comes down to. What, what he wants us to do in the body of Christ is he wants us to put self aside. This isn't the time to be focused on edifying you. This is the time to be edifying one another. When you're in the church together, 
This is the time to find ways to build one another up, to encourage one another. It's not the time to stand up and be focused on what's edifying you. Do that in your private devotional life. Why? So you will have something to bring to the body. So you will have a way to do something for the common good. He says, this is what I do. This is what's going on in me. He is profoundly grateful for this gift that was meant for personal edification outside of the body. He's profoundly grateful for this. But what he wants is believers to put one another first. Because that's what that edification is meant to do. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? Again, do you see? He says, you're not being, if you're giving thanks with your spirit, you are, you're giving thanks. But if nobody else knows, how can they give thanks? It's like, think about others. For you, may be, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So, um, again, I'm, we're, we're quoting, or coming down to the end here. I'm quoting directly from uh, Dr. Storms. It says this, It's hard to imagine Paul saying anything more explosive than what we now read in verses 18 and 19. Clearly, praying, singing, praising in tongues characterize Paul's devotional life. He's profoundly grateful to God for this gift. That's explosive in, in, in uh, uh, a lot of today's theology. He's, he's, he's like, I'm thanking God that I do this. I'm thanking God. I do this all the time. It's amazing. I do this more than you guys. It's incredible. His point is this, in verse 19, it's very simple. The crucial issue is not whether one speaks in tongues, but what is appropriate for public worship, public assembly. What's appropriate for that? That's what the letter's about. That's why he's writing the letter. He's writing the letter because he's wanting them to do that. That's why we had this. Quite frankly, I'm, for one, am hugely grateful they were screwing it up. Number one, it gives me hope. Number two, Paul wrote the letter so that we could get instructions. If they weren't screwing it up, we wouldn't have the letter. Yeah. So I'm hugely grateful for the humanity of people and God pouring this out because that gives us the ability to say, God, they were just like us. They were just like us. Hmm. So here's my question. If Paul did not often speak in tongues in church, yet he spoke in tongues more frequently and fervently than the Corinthians, then where was he doing that? His answer, this is private devotional life. This was his intimacy with the Lord. He's, he's kind of giving us a clue that he had a lot of time and intimacy with Jesus. So remember something. This is the man who wrote the book of Romans. This is the man whose incomparable mind and power of logical argumentation rendered helpless his theological opponents. This is not a man who wasn't sharp of mind. This is not a man who didn't care about sharpening the mind and and honing theological arguments and having proper doctrine and understanding proper teaching. He's the one from whom we get so much of it. Okay? This one that's talking about this building up of the Spirit. 
This is the man who is known to history as the greatest theologian outside of Jesus himself. This is the man who took on and took out the philosophers in Athens. Okay? He could speak both in the church and outside of the church to all of the, the, the intellectual issues of the day. He knew them. He worked them. He was an intellectual. He was a theologian. He was a person of the mind. And he's the one saying we need to both build our spirit and our mind. It's not an either-or proposition. This is what we should be taking away from this text. If he's the one making the argument... Okay, what's the point of making an argument if he's not trying to address our minds? He's making the argument that we should what? Be built up in the spirit as well as built up in our minds. All right, so what have we looked at? Yes, logical, reasonable, highly educated Paul prayed in tongues more than anyone. I think that's a great takeaway. Logical, reasonable, highly educated Paul Prayed in tongues more than anyone. That's really fascinating. All right. So what have we covered so far? Um, And uh, just to kind of cover this whole subject of tongues, kind of summary of this whole thing. So were tongues evangelistic? No, primarily not. Um, They they could be, but they're meant to build up the individual. Um, Was tongue tongue? Uh, why was tongue speech so rare in the other epistles? Why didn't Paul write about it in the other epistles? Why? Because the, the, the other churches weren't having this problem. It was Corinth that was. Just like he didn't write about communion. And, you know, uh, in, uh, he only wrote in one letter to the Corinthians about communion, yet we don't go, why is communion so rare? Why are we doing communion? That's so rare. Paul didn't tell the others to do it. Maybe that was dying out. Maybe that died with the apostles. You think? No? Okay. Um what is the nature of tongues? It's the Holy Spirit manifesting through our human spirit. It's mysterious, but it's about what? It's about praise. It's about prayer directed to God. It's not about engaging with our minds. It's about engaging with our spirit. That's what it's about. Um, uh, is self-edification okay? Some will argue, well, it's all about edifying yourself. We don't, you know, we want to put, no. <laughs> you mean, is it okay to be mature? Is it okay to increase in spiritual sensitivity? Is it okay to expand our understanding? Is it okay to intensify in zeal? I mean, that's what we're saying when we make that argument. All right. Um, is ecstasy part of tongue speech? We talked about that. No, it's not. The whole, no one is ever out of control. It is, it is totally the, the free, voluntary will of the, of the worshiper engaging with the Holy Spirit to lift and glorify God. Um, and so, uh, what we covered tonight, what did Paul think about it? He, he desired that all would speak in tongues. Um, he, he believed that praying in tongues edifies us, builds us up. He thanked God for the gift, and he specifically said, don't forbid it. Um, do all speak in tongues. Paul desired um, it so, that all would, without prejudice. Uh, in other words, he, didn't, he wasn't making categories of people, like celibacy. Um, but... Paul seems to indicate that all had the potential. It seems, it seems a lot here that, that seems to indicate there's a potential to. Um, Paul makes a contextual distinction, not a gift distinction, between tongues that is manifested in the public versus that which is private and devotional. And we see it's, it's, it's very much, he talks about it one way in one context, he talks about it another way in another context. Um, uh, and what about Paul's personal life? He was profoundly grateful that his personal life was replete 
with praying in the Spirit. And he unapologetically testifies so. He unapologetically testifies so. Um, so, uh, yet, in the church, believers are to put themselves aside in order to minister to one another. Even though this great gift is available for you, you need to put you aside when you're together so that we can lift one another up. All right, so um, coming up, um, our tongues aside, we got some really, really fascinating. Why in the world would God even have this gift? Besides the fact that it edifies us, there is a, there is a hugely significant theological reason for this. And it's pretty cool. We talked about it a little bit in the Q&A time last week. I'm going to teach about it next week. Um, um, uh, and I'm going to bring in some material from Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser, uh, um, and some, some to supplement a little bit. We're going we're to touch on that. Um, tongues in the church. I'm really not going to cover that too, too in detail because we've been talking about it all the way through. And, and it's really just about how to appropriately manifest tongues in the church. What about corporate singing in the spirit? I'm going to touch on that because we really haven't talked about that so much because they, they, they kind of go together. Um, and then uh, uh, we'll finish out with Dr. Storm's own testimony. So, well, that's where we're going to go. Hopefully, I'll be able to get it all done next week. Um, uh, we may have to leave the testimony for the following week. And then, guys, we're getting near the end of the book. We only have a couple couple more chapters to go after that, so we'll, we'll be finished up. So, all right. What, what we're going to do right now is we're going to close in prayer um, at the, for this, this time. And those uh, will turn off the... Um, uh, the video. Those that are home, if you have questions, if you have comments, uh, love to hear from you. Send them in. Uh, we'll even give you points for them. So, um, uh, but no, really, seriously, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got prayer requests, send them in. We want to be praying with you. Um, uh, and but we're going to turn off, and then afterwards we'll have a time to. If there's any questions in here, because, uh, we've talked about a whole lot of stuff, and then I want to actually have some time where we just come before the Lord and worship Him. And see what he uh, may desire to speak in our midst this evening. All right, let's let's close. Father, we bless you. We thank you for this time to open your word together. And and I pray that we would wrestle and struggle with your word and your spirit, um, and putting aside ourselves to want to hear from you. Putting aside. Uh, those things that we see around us to say, what is it you want to do in our lives? And that we would hunger and thirst for everything you would desire to manifest in our lives. Why? So that we may be a benefit to the common good. So that we may be a blessing to others. So that we, as Paul exhorted us, may care about the body and a care about those in the world. That we would bring the gospel to them, the spirit to them. Lord, help us to, to, uh, to hear your voice in these things. And to bend our will, bend our knee to your will. In Jesus' name. Amen. Or oh me. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for listening in. Uh, Sally, let me know when we're, when we're.